welcome back to Spooky Scary Science Club. Today is the second episode of our Halloween special series to get you through the spooky season. I'm Mick. And I'm Liv. And this week we've invited horror science expert John Greenaway to talk to us about films, fear and the terror of the unknown. All right, John Greenaway, welcome to After School Science Club, which for this month is Spooky Scary Science Club. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the science of horror. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Uh, my name is John. I am an expert in horror uh, culture and media. Um, how did I get into it um, is a really good question. I think probably uh stumbling across like videos of um you know could you survive this horror movie that crop up everywhere on youtube that got me into thinking about the science in horror movies uh but i've been writing about um horror and politics and horror and culture and horror and religion and uh for probably the last sort of eight years or so so you said that you got enjoyment out of watching, or you got into it through watching those videos. Why do you think people get enjoyment out of watching horror movies? Okay, so this is like this is a really interesting question um, because, on the surface, at least, it is completely it's completely counterintuitive, right? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, can Can I ask it? What What do the two of you think about horror movies? I hate horror movies. And I've realised over the, maybe the past couple of years after watching Us, um, which freaked me out for weeks after, that it's actually because of um, my OCD that I don't like horror movies because I find that they like plague my thoughts and my anxieties and my intrusive thoughts for weeks after. And I have to then do like, you know, the compulsive behaviours to try and neutralise those thoughts. But I like my little, my wholesome spooky films like Hocus Pocus and the little Disney films and stuff. So, yeah, I, I just get too freaked out at horror films. But you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't sort of think of those as horror movies like Hocus Pocus and the scary, the scary bits of Disney movies. You don't think of those as horror films? No, I think them of like wholesome tales. Ah, uh, OK, OK. Do you think they're horror well, this is this is another really interesting question that we kind of have to get into if we're going to talk about what what we mean by the science of horror films. We have to talk. We have to talk about what what do we actually mean by horror films, um, because lots of fantasy has super scary elements in it, and definitely involves things that we could term like proto science in terms of like potions and witchcraft and alchemy and um, you know this, that that. Um, there's a lot of horror films which have no scientific element to them at all. Um, and there's quite a lot of horror movies that do. So I think, yeah, not only do we have to talk about like what, what we all think about horror movies, but I think we actually have to like establish what we think horror actually is. Because I think that determines a lot of the questions that people ask about why do people even engage with this kind of thing in the first place. To answer your question, I am admittedly also not a horror movie fan. Uh, for quite a different reason. I find that I connect quite closely with events on screen. Um, so when I see something that is painful or brutal, I feel it and I don't actually enjoy that very much. I have to say I love classic horror films because they're not made with that in mind at all. And I say, I mean, really classic, like uh, 
if they if people knew what they were in the 1990s it's too modern for me um but i love old horror from the 50s and 60s things like that things that get more into the cultural and psychological elements of it and less into the more visceral or gory aspects those just don't interest me i would actually agree with that where not so much that i like the ones from the 50s but like the old monster movies and the the more like classic monsters i don't mind like i love and i don't think it's a horror film but i love the lost boys that's one of my favorite films and some people would call it like more on the horror side but anything to do with vampires weirdly enough i actually don't mind but anything else i cannot stand i have this kind of conversation all the time and it always happens exactly this way which is that people go oh i don't really i don't like horror films at all i don't no, they're not for me and i'm like okay cool but then as soon as we kind of like talk about it just a little bit we suddenly go oh apart from like if it's got vampires that's okay or if it's like psychological or if it's really old and culturally interesting so everybody does this where they go actually i don't really like horror movies but that's usually because our first like impression of what a horror movie is fits a very what well what i would say is a very narrow set of criteria so yeah we have to talk about like there is there is a kind of the classic definition of horror is something basically that is scientifically inexplicable so there is a really great book by a philosopher called noel noel carroll called paradoxes of the heart or the philosophy of horror so carroll is an aesthetician so a philosophy philosophy of aesthetics and tries to sort of explain and categorize the different kinds of horror and he says that actually for for a horror movie you have to have something happen in it which is like beyond science it like it kind of goes it in the sense of science being this kind of like epistemic uh tool for giving rational explanations and reasons for things for for causation right why do things happen we have scientific explanations that kind of settle that horror is that which is kind of exceeding or goes beyond science or reveals the kind of bits of science uh the bits of kind of the world that science doesn't really have answers for yet um, and I'm really glad you talked about the kind of ancient or old horror movies, because if you look at hit horror as it's developed, you get to see what what was the areas of life that we felt science really didn't have great answers to provide the general public at a certain time. So in the 50s and 60s, the big panic is about uh, nuclear war, especially in the US, right? Um, the classic horror movie here is like something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a great black and white uh, horror movie. And is about things coming from outer space and replacing people. Or, you know, you, the creature features or the kaiju movies of, like, the 50s and 60s are, are like, baked into these these kind of ideas around what is, what's the effect of, like, the use of nuclear weapons uh, and radiation upon the human flesh. Um, and then we had a kind of a little, a little resurgence of what we might call uh, uh, the viral horror movie not so long ago we're probably due another one um given the global situation that we've all lived through so it's it's really interesting to see uh horror as this thing which is about kind of it kind of highlights the areas that culture feels scientifically limited in and obviously professional scientists in all of these disciplines have extremely rigorous well worked out out answers to huge swathes of knowledge but that often doesn't filter through on a cultural level um so 
I think what people are scared of or what people put in horror films is about where they feel their knowledge is insufficient. One theory I've read about in the past is the idea that horror films are sort of psychological practice for people uh, who may then encounter situations that give them similar emotions or concerns in the real world. What do you think of that? So this is one of the big reasons why people watch horror. Um, there's quite a lot of psychological research trying to answer this question because, again, on the surface, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like like Liv said, it's really unpleasant. Uh, it can have like a very intense negative responses within people, uh, within physiologically, psychologically. So, from what I know, the best psychological research suggests a few things as to why: um, high openness to experience and sensation seeking are good indicators of people being interested in horror. Um, among children, particularly, children and young people tend to respond in two very different ways. So children tend to be tend to respond with fear to things which are more symbolically frightening. And teenagers, and when you get slightly older, you start worrying about kind of concrete things that could happen to you. So I think that I think the difference there is like it's the difference between ghosts and there being like a monster in your cupboard or under the bed. <laughs> Right, so children find ghosts quite quite scary because they're symbols of death, right? So, and that's a very that's a very terrifying concept when you're really young. So that's 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 one interesting aspect to it. Um, and there is some good psychiatric and psychological literature that suggests that horror is actually quite cathartic as a way of like externalizing your worst kind of anxieties and just whilst whilst we were getting ready to to have our conversation i found a really interesting paper that suggests people that were who are more engaged with horror film had better psychological resilience during covid so it it is not cut and dried though i don't think it's i don't think there's enough there to say that it is absolutely conclusive but there are the, these combinations i think are very suggestive right so openness to experience thrill thrill or sensation seeking and an interest in the externalizing of like your worst anxieties generally tends to lead you towards enjoying this kind of media i guess that would make sense as well right because from even well the psychological research but also the the neuroscience research that we know when we get scared or when we detect danger certain parts in our brain like the limbic system the amygdala responds to that but also things like uh so the limbic system for listeners is involved in the fight flight and freeze response so fight would be you stay in you have you know some sort of danger in your in your environment fight you stay and deal with the threat flight you run <laughs> you remove yourself from the situation and then freeze is where like your thoughts sort of hone in on the danger and taking all the information um but there was i was reading like you i was also reading some research before this where some people and i think it goes in with that cathartic thing where afterwards because we sort of get this rush of like adrenaline and, and, and dopamine and, and endorphins from watching horror films people come out and they're like like they feel good after watching it which i personally do not get i i cannot comprehend how that happens but it would make sense right with what what we know about um how we respond to the environment as well and how we respond to threats well when you think about it there are a lot of people who don't understand why you would feel good about 
running 20 miles uh or something like roller coasters like things which like you know that that's that's super dangerous uh and you know evolutionarily we're we're kind of wired to see that as a as something that could be incredibly dangerous but like the the thrill is the excitement of it um tension tension and release right so they construct huge amounts of tension there's a real there and there's a release of that tension so that happens on the level of narrative physiologically there's the adrenaline and then there's the kind of relief there's a sort of the high of having made it through what could have been a life or death situation even if you it was only on screen and generally it's also psychologically true that people with relatively high empathy tend to dislike horror horror in in the sense of like depictions of on-screen violence and really that that's a kind of obvious thing so if you're a highly empathetic person and perhaps quite imaginative if you see something on on screen it's very easy to either project yourself into what you're seeing or to extrapolate that out into the real world so in in horror studies we have this we have this kind of like um idea of what we call participatory anthropology so if you we think of watching a movie as quite a passive activity right you're just sitting there right and you're just watching the thing on the screen but actually horror film is constructed in such a way as to get you to physiologically and psychologically participate with what you see on the screen if you were just watching it you'd be like oh that's a dark hallway that's not very scary but if you are if you are participating within the film suddenly it's like how would i feel or you know what would i do if i was in this this very dark spooky hallway and i knew there was a you know the guy with the axe in the mask at the end of the door of the uh, behind the door i just i just want to say you all heard it here first on this podcast expert supported mick and live are highly empathetic and creative <laughs> i mean that's why i brought it up <laughs> so there's this um yeah there's this there's this there's this idea of like participation within the horror movie and i think for some people like you know like you said live i think it can be really difficult right it can be um un- unpleasantly stressful it can be psychologically difficult to kind of disentangle oneself and that's that that so even as someone who isn't who's an expert in, in horror i would never say people have to watch anything i mean there's kinds of horror there's types of horror movies that i don't watch because i don't like them um but i also think um i also think it's a really interesting thing to observe that in the history so cinema as an art form is is a you know started at the beginning of the 1900s um and horror is basically some of the first films that people ever made i think one of the very earliest films is an adaptation of frankenstein that's done in like 1911 so it's like for as long as we've been making movies we've been making horror movies can you explain the concept of suspension of disbelief and how that creates effective horror film experiences um yeah so suspension of disbelief is how can a film uh, or a book or a piece of art persuade you that what you are seeing on the screen is real or how can a piece of art convince you to pretend that what you're seeing on the screen is real uh, i think a really good example of this is like a vid- video games so horror video games quite a lot of the time are predicated upon like you as the um active participant within a scene have to survive a threat now you're not really in danger right if if you get caught by the the masked killer that's stalking the house you are going to be fine 
So the suspension of disbelief is getting you to invest in the idea that you won't be. And this is exactly what we were talking about in terms of that kind of like imaginative projection, putting yourself imaginatively into the situation and being a kind of participant within it. And that's that's something that a film particularly is quite good at helping us convince ourselves of. Um, but it's also kind of the fun of of any sort of film, right? If you if you're really into superhero movies, you get to pretend that like that this kind of like superhuman is an actual real possibility. If you really like horror movies, you get to you get to pretend this kind of exciting disaster is really real and maybe you could survive too if you were smart and plucky and you did all the right things so suspension of disbelief is a set of techniques and a set of like qualities that a piece of art will employ in order to get you to kind of give yourself over to the idea that this might not just be a story it might actually have some reality to it Leif, perhaps the reason you and I aren't always big fans of horror films is because we're too acutely aware of how poorly we would survive in those situations. I would be the first one plucked off in a horror film. Taking it back to sort of the scientific roots of horror films then, uh, what kinds of real-world phenomena or events or scientific ideas have inspired some of the really iconic horror plots or creatures? I mean, there's two there's two big ones which are um, really very old, um, but there's a couple of really cool ones which are slightly more modern that we could talk about first. So, uh, I hope I, I I wonder if you have both heard of the Alfred Hitchcock film The Birds. Yep. So, so The Birds is a very famous Hitchcock movie, and it's about a town on the coast which is suddenly overrun by birds that will kind of physically attack you. Uh, and this is based on a true story. Uh, so in 1961, I believe, it's a town in on the California coast that was they were the residents were awoken by birds kind of dropping out of the sky, diving on people, vomiting on things. Uh, it's like a scene out of a horror movie. Entire flocks of birds kind of falling to falling into the into the town, disoriented, violent. Um, it's, it was a really big news story at the time. Uh, it turned out that uh, the birds had been poisoned by um, an a, an algae bloom in the seawater, uh, and that had caused these kind of neurological symptoms uh, in the birds, which is a really it's a kind of a fascinating bit of like marine biology interacting with its wider ecology. Um, another one which is um, kind of a little more contemporary. Um, have you both heard of Wes Craven's uh, very famous film? A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So Nightmare on Elm Street, for people who don't know, is about a mask, well, a um, a burned serial killer called Freddy Krueger who can break into your dreams and kill you in your sleep. Uh, and as kind of outlandish as this might sound, this is also based on a true story. Um, so in the 80s, before the film, late 70s, early 80s, uh, in certain parts of America, they saw a huge amount of, of um, immigration of refugees displaced by the Vietnam War. And there is a certain group uh, that's predominantly found across Laos, Vietnam, and Thailand called the Hmong people. Uh, and there were around 120 cases of what was later called uh, Sudden Unexplained Death Syndrome. Uh, and these were Hmong who had made it to the United States 
suffered a huge amount of psychological trauma, um, were often predisposed to very disturbed sleep f- from from childhood, and they were, were were under such psychological stress that they would die in their sleep. So there there's been some there has been some kind of uh, more research on it, and it, again it does suggest it's it is the evidence is suggestive that there is perhaps a kind of um, genetic uh, component to this to this predisposition to what's called suds sudden unexplained death syndrome um but again even something like this that can seem so kind of arbitrary it gets put into a sort of more psychological mode there's a sort of phantasmatic figure that can do this um and so those are two contemporary examples two really cool older examples have you heard of frankenstein (laughs) i mean of course so very famous one um so it's written in 1818 by 19-year-old English woman called Mary Shelley. And she um, is on holiday with her friends in Switzerland. It's very rainy. Nobody can go outside. So they decide to have a ghost story competition. Um, Shelley is is uh, incredibly smart and really well educated and is very interested in uh, all of the latest science of the day. Um, you know, in London at the time, anatomy would be a public lecture uh and shelley specifically mentions some of the experiments in uh electricity by henry galvini uh who would pass electricity along nerves and through muscle fiber to see what response it would generate uh and that is uh this is slightly apocryphal but it is definitely an influence on uh the very famous image that gets immortalized in the 1931 film of you know the lightning Uh, coming into the corpse and bringing it back to life and of course um dracula is uh is an incredibly famous bit of sort of scientific horror it's it's maybe one of i think probably one of the first instances in in horror writing about detailing blood transfusions uh in like extremely close detail of how to conduct blood transfusions and this idea of what could be communicated or passed along in the blood was a real concern the other big thing that it takes from is a kind of now discredited branch uh rightly discredited sort of scientific field of degeneration theory uh so this was the sort of obviously darwinian evolution had caused a huge stir in the world at the time and so the the inverse of that was the uh sort of what we would call now pseudoscientific belief that if people could evolve presumably one could devolve too um, a lot of this filtered into now uh, racist and outright eugenicist ideas around phrenology, particularly. Um, but like science and horror has always gone very, like very, very kind of close together, very hand in hand. On that note, then, John, do you think there's a link between uh, people who have an interest in science and the macabre? I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but like, it wouldn't. It's not the strangest thing in the world, right? This idea of like, if you, if you're interested in in science, you, and generally this starts quite a young age. You're interested in how things work. You know, why? What happens if you, you know, perform these simple experiments? How does a, how does how do how do bodies actually function? Um, and I think that kind of lends itself to wanting to ask kind of complex questions of like how how far can you push something before it becomes terrifying you know how you know if you can if you can uh pass an electric current through 
uh, an arm and the nerves are going to give like impulse to to twitch the twitch the muscle fiber then like how how far can we push that uh so i i don't know i don't know if there is a direct link it wouldn't surprise me i think quite a lot of uh people with science backgrounds um have been involved in horror um but i also think it's not i don't think it's a requirement i don't think it's a requirement but i think it i think the two probably have more in common than than perhaps any of us would like to admit what would you say your favorite science-based moment in horror cinema is and is the science good or not so good okay so right off the bat no the science isn't good uh if you approach no, almost n- none of the time is the science going to be good the the point for horror is does it feel sciency enough right it does it feel sciency not is it actually good replicable firmly grounded well peer-reviewed science the answer to that is no (laughs) speaking as someone who has built a career in the science of science fiction and fantasy i'm 100 percent on board with your comments john as long as it feels like it could be science it doesn't have to be science uh so a really famous example is the 1931 adaptation of Frankenstein makes huge uh, changes to the novel, uh, and probably for the worse, in my opinion. And the big one is the very famous image of Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's creature, right? The 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 incredible prosthetic makeup, the neck bolts, the kind of very slow speech. Now, in the course of that film, uh, Doctor Frankenstein sends his assistant Igor off to fetch a brain to go in the body that he's constructing. And in a classic bit of sort of 19th century phrenology, there are multiple brains in jars. And one is labeled the criminal brain. (laughs) And it's the criminal brain that gets picked up and put into Frankenstein and animates him. Um, But it's done in a way that feels science-y, right? The, The kind of big problem of pseudoscience is that it has the veneer of what we would recognize as scientific, especially if you don't have a scientific background, right? It's very easy to go, well, that's just seen, it seems logical. And true, there is a sort of, there is a sort of logic at work if you squint really closely, but that is not the same thing as good science. I think probably one that maybe gets closer to having good science is the very first episode of The Last of Us, uh, based on the very famous video game about the fungal uh, fungal horror. Um, there, the science in it is not really very well established. There's like an opening, there's like an opening scene in the very first episode of about 10 minutes where we kind of go into enough exposition that we can understand that this has some sort of, again, some reasonable logic behind it. But science is not really the important thing for a horror movie, right? So, because science is, is ultimately about knowledge and explanation, knowledge and understanding. And those two things are kind of antithetical to horror. For a good scary story, it's all about what you don't know that makes it work. So there's lots of there's lots of science C stuff in horror movies. There's lots of deserted and abandoned laboratories. There's lots of uh, things bubbling in in jars. There's lots of you know uh, Van de Graaff generators and lightning, and it and it feels sciency. But no, none of the science is good. <laughs> Speaking of The Last of Us, actually, I did a an article on um, the science behind The Last of Us recently with um, 
Elaine Cloutman Green, who is a microbiologist um, in the UK, um, and she was saying that so the cordyceps fungus, which is well, um, the the sort of zombie fungus, um, it's obviously real, but it infects ants. Whereas in the show and in the game, it affects. It's like evolved to affect people. But I asked her if that's actually scientifically plausible, and she said at least with cordyceps, um, with that fungus no because it would take so so long for it to evolve that way but also our body temperature is too high to be able to like sustain that infection so i felt for me i think making sense thinking about it now making sense of the science behind things actually makes it a little less scary for me and with um they also changed um because you were saying like some you know the science is (laughs) never sound but they also changed a few things about like the way it's transmitted in the game compared with um in the show and she was saying that's because it's for like the cinematic effect of it because the way that um i think in the the game it's transmitted through spores but in the show it's it's tendrils and she was saying that because you can't really act well in a gas mask so like in the show that wouldn't really lend well to to viewers but if you change it to it being transmitted more through tendrils, you don't have to have that gas mask on your actors all the time. I think this is a really good point, actually, that like one of the bits of research I found was like, if you want to decrease fear responses and increase enjoyment of horror, what you do is you do exactly what you've just done, which is like you explain why this couldn't happen or why this wouldn't happen. And it actually, in a lot of the cases, that allows people to actually enjoy the film or enjoy the game or enjoy the TV show more. So, yeah, because the, really the point is not about is this going to be good science or is this even possible? Uh, the point is, are you going to be able to buy in to it? So, um, yeah, there's 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 so many there's so many really interesting kind of horror movies which feel sciencey. So there's one um, actually which there's a couple that I just watched relatively recently. Uh, one is called antiviral and is about designing designer viruses so that you could have the same strain of an illness as your favorite celebrity or you could even you could even culture the uh culture that bacteria or that virus onto um growth film and growth cells that you could turn into meat so you could kind of eat your favorite celebrity Right, it's it's about a world in which we're so obsessed with celebrity, a world in which we're so invested in our favorite people that we're fans of that you want you want to you want to have have what they have down to the down to the level of bacteria, and it's like the science in that is okay ish, uh, but again, it's not really about it being convincing as science, but as about a kind of a- extrapolation of things that exist societally that science could kind of either make better or worse in various ways. Sounds like a Black Mirror episode. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a highly concerning concept. And I think there are some elements of horror, and that's one of them, that work precisely because, plausible or not, they touch very closely on real-world concepts. You're a lot less scared of you know, the alien from Alien turning up in your bedroom than you are of someone potentially one day thinking that you seem like an attractive concept to mimic or eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I think I think that's 
that's sort of the value actually is science is science is, is an incredibly good tool but maybe it's not necessarily good at uh extrapolating consequences to their end points and the horror is very good at doing that like what is what is the worst possible case scenario um horror will go all the way through to the very kind of like to the most exaggerated endpoints which is kind of the fun of it i think but that's that's not something that people should take scientifically seriously so just to wrap up john as we head into the spooky season what are your top scary movie recommendations for science fans of any age Ooh, okay um for for any age uh definitely james wales 1931 film frankenstein um i think that's i think that's really fun and you know you'll watch it and at first you'll find it kind of silly and maybe a bit cringe but there's always a scene it's the scene where victor frankenstein brings his creature to life that's where it gets you and it, it i've i've taught that film i've introduced that film so many times and people always laugh but at the scene where Boris Karloff's hand twitches for the first time, um, you will always kind of feel the tension in the room. And it's like, it will always, uh, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's all, it's, you know, you'll find, you'll be able to find it. Um, I think if you like kind of slightly silly, goofy adventure movies, check out something like It Came From Out of Space or The Blob, uh, which is like a fun 50s movie. The Blob has a young Steve McQueen in it so that's that's really fun uh for people who are maybe a little bit older and maybe people who are kind of into horror movies a little bit more uh george romero's uh zombie uh, films is a really interesting evolution of the zombie um and it it culminates with the zombies being the subject of experimentation by by human scientists until it turns out that there is a kind of zombie consciousness uh, so it turns from experimentation into torture. So it's a really interesting case of research ethics gone wrong. Uh, for people who like a cold, hard dose of reality, there is a 2011 film called Contagion, which is uh, about the a global pandemic. Uh, it's honestly, I, I watched it during I think the first or second lockdown, and it's utterly terrifying um, because it's done. It's shot in a way that makes it all seem very, very plausible. And now having lived through something like that, eh, what's worrying is that it's not all that wrong in how things would spread. But if you want something that is a little sillier, w- World War Z is a really good zombie movie that is based on, again, a kind of viral pandemic. But yeah, this one, you don't have to worry about it really happening. <laughs> uh, the final one I have to I have to recommend. And if you will, if you have read Frankenstein and you're like, I want something that's, uh slightly wild and a little bit wacky and takes the frankenstein story and goes in very silly directions with it there is a 1985 film called herbert west reanimator uh and reanimator is great uh what what's the worst possible thing that could happen if you brought somebody back to life this film will show you uh it's full of genuinely spectacular and very um gooey i think gooey is the right word uh practical effects but if if you're listening to this and you fancy having a fun movie night with a few friends wait until it gets dark get plenty of halloween candy and watch herbert west reanimator extremely extremely loosely based 
on uh, on the H.P. Lovecraft story of the same name. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very loosely based. It is not a good adaptation. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your recommendations and for coming on the podcast. This was such a great chat. I hope I have maybe persuaded you to check out a few slightly spookier horror films. We'll report back. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you for coming on. This was this was great. Yeah, thank you so much. Before we head off, tell us about your podcast on horror films if people want to check out more about it. Uh, yeah, so if you are interested in horror films, um, please do check out the podcast. It's called Horror Vanguard. Uh, you can find it at horrorvanguard.com or uh, wherever you get your good, fresh, local, organic podcasts from. Um, we cover horror film, we cover philosophy, we cover politics, we co- cover um, cultural and critical theory. Uh, it is about understanding how horror film helps illustrate the current uh, political and social conditions under which we all live. Um, I uh, write for... Um, various academic places and various non-academic public places about the intersections of horror religion and politics and to keep up with those and to find out more about what i'm working on or when we drop a new episode of horror vanguard you can find me on twitter at the liquor guy and the liquor guy on pretty much most social media platforms brilliant thank you so much again for joining us john we really appreciate it and it's been a fun romp through horror with you thank you so much If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, or both. Thank you for listening to After School Science Club, hosted by Liv Gaskell and Mick Schubert, with music by Sam Watts. I'm Liv, and you can find me on Instagram at sciencewithliv. And I'm Mick. And you can find me at mickschubert.com, as well as a variety of other places. You can also email us at scyclubpodcast at gmail.com. That's S-C-I-clubpodcast at gmail.com. So get in touch if you have any burning questions, or if you want to suggest a cool topic for us to discuss in a future episode. Uh, thanks, and we'll see you next episode. <laughs>